You're now listening to Roadmap to Politics. Hi, welcome to Roadmap to Politics, a show where we try to detoxify political discussion in college and the U.S. Yes, I'm your host, J.H. Vierhoff. And I'm your other host, Alex Martinez. So today, we're going to be doing an episode on tariffs and trade. I thought it was pretty relevant, and you know, we did the elections last week. I thought it went pretty well, I don't know. Yeah, same here. It was kind of an interesting... um... (laughs) (laughs) Just like a start, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Once you point that out, like, it... Oh, gosh. I just, I realized like halfway through that that was just not, not happening. <laughs> I uh, mean, it's, it, it's like seven at night most of the time when we start this. So it's just like. Yeah, right now it's 8.14 on Tuesday, October 23rd. I mean, it's going to be hump day tomorrow, so that's good. Heck yes. And I am going to be deliriously tired for it. Dude, same. I'm going to be like maybe asleep for like two hours tonight. <laughs> oh, you're lucky. I'm going to have like half an hour of sleep. okay so anyway we're gonna go over tariffs tonight um so we got to start out for anybody who just doesn't know what a tariff is it's been all over the news recently because we've had that trade war with china where we've been escalating tariffs back and forth and it's kind of just been this like push and pull so what is a tariff well it's a tax on an import it's generally used as a source of income by the the state or the country um and Basically, anything that is imported, if you impose a tariff on it, you impose a certain percentage of its value. So like, for example, a 5% tariff on a $100 good, you'll have $5 that just goes straight to the government. It's basically like sales tax for an import. Um, and it encourages people to, to buy domestically um, because the domestic products will just be a lot cheaper generally because it's a lot cheaper to produce. It's a lot cheaper just to not import, you're already there. Yeah, that's essentially like a good rundown of what all that is, but like, yeah, definitely. It's something that kind of has been in the news lately, and um, speaking of the news, I'm probably gonna cover a little bit more about like local Wisconsin news, and I'm just gonna kind of just blend my Wisconsin accent oh, here. <laughs> I've been told that my Wisconsin accent ends up turning into just a weird like concoction of Northern Wisconsin and Chicago. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, that'd be, that's, a, that's an interesting one. I don't know. Deep it's, dish with a Wisconsin cheeks, basically. Oh, <laughs> deep dish with Wisconsin cheeks. Love it. <laughs> Definitely. But yeah, so like um, right now, this kind of article is like based in um, from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And um, basically, I'm just going to cover, cover little points here and there that it covers. And um, it's pretty, pretty much talking about how like, these tariffs are affecting Wisconsin-owned businesses, um, mostly small businesses and pretty much like those implications that these tariffs have. So like, for example, um, like it does, it does talk about like two, like three types of three countries that tariffs come from, primarily like from the European Union, um, Canada, and China. And for example, this company that builds boats um, owned by, well, let, me, right, let me see, this is the, oh, there we go. Uh, Marquise Larson Boat Group. It's a company based in Pulaski. I think it's what it's called. Yeah. How's it spelled? Um, P-U-L-S, no, P-U-L-A-S-K-I. I I think you got it right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a company based in Pulaski, Wisconsin. 
and pretty much what he's what they're talking about this in this particular first company that's affected by the tariffs is that it would trigger mostly any layoffs from if these tariffs last for a long time and the tariffs were mostly from like um, 25% tariff on boats built in the US this was placed by the EU and then another 10% tariff was placed on these boats that are built in the US that are shipped to Canada and this and then the, the person who the C, who is the CEO of this company talks about how um yeah like tariffs may benefit some bigger companies like um automakers um primarily due to like you know increasing um from increasing like uh, production within the country mm-hmm. but like small businesses like this one would not necessarily benefit from this primarily due to like how limiting um like raw materials from that they might import from other countries that are cheaper than producing their own types of materials here mm-hmm. and that's kind of like one i'm going to go talk about right now but we're going to be bouncing back and forth like, yeah so some things we're also going to go over the history of tariffs so starting in really in u.s history because we're in the u.s um <clears throat> kind of work our way to the present and what's going on today we're also going to overview some of the protectionism versus free trade debate, which are the two main schools of thought with trade. And overall, like we're just going to kind of work everything together. Yeah, so uh, to start out with the history of tariffs, we're going to start out with the oldest one, the Tariff Act of uh, 1789, which was one of the first uh, – it was like the first substantive legislation passed by the first U.S. Congress. And it was just something to protect trade and raise revenue for the federal government because we were broke, completely broke. The Articles of Confederation made us broke. Um, like a broke costume. Oh, oh my goodness, yeah. Um, and because the, basically the Articles of Confederation gave too much power to the states, the states ended up just taking their own revenue and just keeping it. And so the federal government was completely devoid of money until 1789. It was a. Uh, it just started import taxing, which is tariffs, and created an additional duty of ten percent on imports carried on vessels, quote, not on the United States, end quote. I'm getting this from uh, an encyclopedia website that is not Wikipedia. <laughs> so I mean, Wikipedia, man, that, that's a plug. Yeah, it is yeah. a plug, but I, I, I've just been told by every single teacher ever that it's not. <laughs> Um, and Alexander Hamilton was one of the main proponents of this act because he uh, really believed that this is the way that the U.S. government starts its economy. Um, it was a st- it was because it was a key source of revenue, um, and it was actually until 1913 a key source of federal income tax or federal income. It was a tax that was a key source, and so this act lasted longer than a lot of other ones. Um, and it was because they didn't in the US government didn't have an income tax before 1913 which really like that's a long time to go without in- income tax especially it was yes a response to the gilded age in the uh, 1890s but still like lord that was a yeah, that's a long time it definitely is a pretty long time like I don't know, like, you just kind of think of it, like, like throughout history, you see a lot of these different things that's come up, and, like, um, let me see, like, I feel like income tax is such a basic concept to think about, like, it doesn't, it doesn't take, like, 100 plus years to think about, think of that. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, before the, uh, before the income tax, of course, corruption was rampant in the government. Oh, definitely, yeah. Before that, it was, like, you tax us. There was still that mentality of you tax us, you die. Yeah. Sort of. That was up until like the eighteen twenties. 
And then Jackson came along, and that's actually a pretty good segue into our second tariff, the Tariff of Abominations, which was a tariff of 1828. Um, it was intended originally to protect northern industries. So all the manufacturing, the shipping, all the lumber in the north, um, which really did not benefit the south, which because of that, it causes a secession crisis. So basically what happened, there was four years from the passing of the tariff of 1828 to the passing of the tariff of 1832, which caused an altercation crisis during Jackson's presidency. And that was uh, <clears throat> around, the rate wasn't even that high. It was around 35% on imports, which is actually ridiculously high for today's standards. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, but compared to like other, uh, during like World War II, um, that that was way higher. Uh, the World War II rates were up to 48% in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like even now, like the, the rates, like especially like the U.S. is like 3.5% from like 2007. Yeah. And yeah, like, like and also I'm just getting these stats from like the USTR and like we'll, we'll have these links on, on the show notes mm-hmm. that we're going to keep promising until they're properly done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, definitely. Like those are, when you, you think about it back then, like maybe like probably the technology and like the, um, that's not necessarily technology, it's like the systems in place of like trade were probably a lot different than now, where there's probably more globalization that we're probably going to talk about a little more as we go along. Yeah. But yeah, it's like one of those things that's like pretty interesting just to like see those like huge contrasts in like tariff size or yeah. percentages. When you think about it, like 1828, there really isn't that much globalization. Yeah. Uh, like the US was the first colony to rebel or in the British eyes have mm-hmm. a civil war and win against uh, its own mother nation. We really didn't have anything but European, uh, European in the US essentially, some East Asian Asian countries that were really, really prominent in the international scene and trade just wasn't as big. Uh, Today, the global networks are so interlocked that or interlinked and everybody relies on each other for trade that it's, kind of just completely 100% different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like we were talking about this earlier, how there's like this kind of like, um, this kind of like shift when, it, when, it, when, it, when countries develop when it comes to like um, the protectionism versus um, free trade. And like back then, I can just imagine it was like, you're not even fully developed at that point to really say, oh yeah, let's establish trade with so-and-so country and like, how are we going to establish those modes of communication at that point, you know? Of course. And we didn't – also, we really didn't have any uh, – we didn't have any historical precedent for um, any of the protectionism free trade stuff that we see today. Like a new country, for example, like let's just call it Jhistan, comes into uh, uh, comes into the international scene and wants to start. There will be organizations. There will be other nation states as long as it's – as long as you, the JHS stand complies with every with everything, um, that will come and try to help it develop and really just grow its economy to a point that it can start to self suffice. Back in the eighteen twenties, you really didn't see that ever. So you go through the Civil War of the United States of America, and you know the it's kind of just still very tense between the North and the South because their economies were so different. And suddenly, after 1865, 
the U.S. is whole again. The South is starting to try to industrialize because it realizes that it cannot sustain slavery because it's illegal. Yeah. Um, which unfortunately was a humongous part of its economy. Um, and the Southern economy was wrecked after the Civil War because of the shift in industry. Mm-hmm. The attempt to industrialize really happened then. And then you see the rise of big businesses and big corporations in the 1880s. Um, labor starts to become very, very a very, very hot button issue. Um, people start to unionize. People start to try to fight for just not working 14 hours a day. Understandable. Yep, definitely. Um, I don't want that in my life. And so we go through World War One. Um, Pre World War One, we were still kind of in this whole mindset of we're isolationist. We tried colonization a little bit; it didn't really work. Like we got a couple of territories that we still hold on to, and then we got a couple of territories that were very rebellious. Um, and suddenly, in World War One, the whole world changed because we have a lot of just different ideas, a lot of different conflicts happening at the exact same time. It was the war to end all wars. Suddenly America is thrust in the spotlight because we were not as affected by the World War One as the European nations mm-hmm. because we weren't des our land wasn't decimated. Yeah. So we get into the nineteen twenties and there's a huge boom, post war boom, because the US is selling everything to everybody. And suddenly uh, somebody, their names are Smoot and Holly, they make a tariff. And that tariff is one of the most infamous tariffs in U.S. history because it raised tariffs on over 20,000 imported goods. Yikes. Yeah. Um, there was a second highest. The, the tariffs were exceeded by a small margin by the tariff of 1828, which we already talked about, which is that Jacksonian tariff. Um, the act following the retaliatory tariffs, trading partners were major factions of the reduction of American exports. And that's kind of why, and basically what that means is the economy dropped, absolutely dropped because you know everybody's going through the Great Depression. Nobody wants, at this point, um, tariffs are kind of just like, People think that we can raise them as much as we want. We can't. Um, And we don't have that power anymore to raise it because at that post-war boom, we could raise it as much as we wanted to. Yeah. And everybody was desperate and had some money left over. And they were like, okay, I'll pay like extra, a little bit extra just to trade with you and get some economic benefits. The, everybody will be happier. We'll have trade because generally trade will be a bilateral agreement. And then when the depression hit it and the smooth holly tariff was passed it destroyed everything or destroyed our economy trade-wise at least not internally there was a lot of other problems it wasn't the only thing but it was kind of one of those inciting events that caught that caused all the 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 fall in the stock market and everything else and really it the, the problem was American farmers started to suffer because of it because one of the big things it did was raise uh, import. or Yeah, so the U.S. stopped importing a lot of things. It went almost down by $3 billion, which in 1930 money was a lot. <laughs> That's over two. That would be like if, oh, today, over two-thirds of our economy just dropped because of a tariff. Oh, yeah, that, that's... Uh... 
I'm just trying to process how much that would be like some magic how many rooms you can fill how many <laughs> no like you can probably fill like a whole ass like library with all that money oh for sure <laughs> like, for sure literally swim in it <laughs> and that's kind of one of the that's one of the reasons that the US just started to struggle but really that wasn't the smooth holly tariff really didn't affect the US as much as it did the world because Europe was pretty reliant on the U.S. at that point for a lot of its goods and a lot of its or its exports because we were kind of keeping them afloat because we had a humongous economy. And um, that lack of imports that the U.S. had just killed a lot of the other economies around the world too. Um, it made the Great Depression way worse for a lot of different countries. And then, of course... Afterwards, in 1932, so this this tariff lasted a whole three years. 1932, the Democratic campaign run by FDR, they, their, their platform was to lower tariffs because it was very apparent about how much this tariff just absolutely destroyed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and this also caused, this Moon and Holly tariff also caused a trade war between the U.S. and Europe, which is why the... Uh, why the economy was so tanked because it shouldn't in theory tank our economy as much because we're just kind of trying to boost our own but so yeah there was a trade war between the u.s and europe uh, according to npr the trade dropped over 26 percent just world trade um and it eventually led congress to give the discretion of trade to not themselves but to the president so that became a it gave more power to the executive cabinet than it already had. And we're going to definitely talk a lot about that because um, I have a Wall Street Journal article here that kind of talks about that. And um, we'll and we're going to talk about a little bit about how Trump, like or at least in like modern day era, how like Trump is um, influencing or, or like just like the discussion of tariffs when it comes to like the Trump era, and primarily it's focusing on like uh, the trade war with China right now and. Um, also, some things I think we were talking about were also like the renegotiation of NAFTA, which is a North American fair trade agreement, which is now kind of in the process of being renegotiated as the US, United States, Mexico, and Canada um, agreement, I believe yep. that's what it's called. Yeah. USMCA. <laughs> there are a couple of trade agreements that happened in the 1960s and 1970s, and Reagan also expanded a little bit on the trades. However, the general thought was that after the Smoot and Hawley tariff, that um, tariffs really weren't great for the economy. There was a lot of fear after because it, you know, the Great Depression, mm-hmm. or that trade would be so badly impacted by tariffs that we just should have free trade. So our tariff rate was just dropped. So you see, like. According to the WTO, um, from 2007, you see trade rates really spike in the 1930s because there was a trade war with Europe. However, also, there was just people started to basically try to help their own economies because their economies were suffering so much. So everywhere had a very high trade rate. The U.S. kind of had it in 1913 as 32%. 1925, 26%, 1931, 35%. And the difference between that and, for example, Italy started out in 1913 as 17% for trade. 
and in 1931 was at 48%. So you see that this trade war really does affect everybody because everybody's trying to help themselves the most. Compare that to 2007, where the U.S. trade uh, rate is 3.5, and every single country that's in the European Union, at least in 2007, had a 5.2% import tax rate. So there really was just a global trend of um, tariffs are bad, we should not have that, which has been kind of, the rhetoric has kind of been flipped again to like nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that um, tariffs are kind of needed just to like kind of improve one's own economy, which is pretty much like a, a standard like debate when it comes to keeping tariffs, which is an understandable position. Um, that's something that I was kind of reading in, in this um, the Milwaukee Senator article, which um, like, I'm just quoting from a professor right here, where um, from Concordia University, which I think is in Wisconsin. It is. Yeah, like Concordia University in Wisconsin. And this, this, uh, this is um, Van Mo- Mobley, uh, who is an associate professor of history there. And he mostly covers like trade issues like this. And this is like kind of like a sim- similar a quote that kind of talks about like why, like at least now, why we can have tariffs. Like it's better to make these moves now while the economy is strong. Kind of like saying how like, yeah, we kind of can afford, to an extent, kind of saying we can afford to do this right now. So it won't essentially like destroy our economy like it did back in like, during the early 19, like 1900s. Like at least it's not gonna be like that much of an impact Well, what we have now. And um, even then, like um, there are some companies that are trying to like circumvent like the um, impact of some of these um, tariffs, like or um, like how the trade wars like can affect like small businesses and how um, there's this company in Waukesha, it's called Husco, and they're like a manufacturing company. And what they're trying to do right now to kind of offset the damage which is kind of like kind of showing a little bit how yes some tariffs can af- can affect small businesses but there may be ways to kind of like limit the damage of it which is like a kind of a fair argument to say to kind of against like or a fair argument to keep hit tariffs to an extent to kind of keep um some level of like internal i want to say progression i guess when it comes to like manufacturing and how and um what this company kind of was trying is trying to do is like kind of instead of outsourcing some of like some manufacturing to um, Asian countries or like China for, for, for primarily, which like their highest tariff, like with the highest tariff they get there would be like costing roughly a million dollars instead of outsourcing there, but to outsource to non-Asian countries and kind of work out agreements that way to kind of like one, you know, keep be able to like go around the tariff and two, you know, maintain the same level of productivity that they had without, you know, losing, um, like employees and whatnot you know it's i don't know i'm just kind of like in awe of how these companies are doing it because mm-hmm. you don't really you you gotta be really innovative to do that because like i would yeah. never think like oh yeah i can circumvent a u.s trade mm-hmm. like it's a federal right like i didn't know that i thought it was just anything was imported that's why you're trying to increase domestic like domestic demand yeah definitely and, and, and comp- increase the supply too. Just kind of shift up U to U.S. GDP and economies and econom economist buzzwords and whatever. But you know, yeah, definitely. And, that, and that, this is how how I interpreted from the article. And it's it's still going to be in the show notes just in case people want to look at it, just to kind of further like explore that explore that company and like kind of seeing okay how they're trying to do how they're trying to do this. 
And yeah, I mean, like, if, if there is such a way to really just like kind of go around those type of tariffs, because like, I think this one is particularly talking about like an individual tariff that's imposed on an individual country. Mm-hmm. So like, if it's importing from that country, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Then that's yeah. like kind of what they're what they're doing. Like you like, ship it to another country, you ship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's or get the product from another. Country yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the country that's being tariffed. Yeah, yeah, and like um. But like for example, like with the um, uh, the boat company that was mentioned earlier, like the tariffs are like still affecting like multiple countries, like like from the EU and Canada and like, no, it doesn't mention China, but like like those are two other countries that have like different rates of tariffs, you know. So it, it might be just that um, it's like the different rates are the rates are different from other countries, so that's probably the the case in there. Yeah, that that generally is the case. Each country will get its own rate depending on like trade and international politics and a lot of other. Oh, there's a lot of factors that go into what rate a certain country oh, gets for tariffs. Definitely, for sure, especially with like, you know, for certain places will be sanctioned, for example, and there will be economic sanctions trying to like squeeze them, so they'll generally have higher import rates. Mm-hmm, definitely, there's also political sanctions that we'll get into. Um, with Trump in China, for example, mm-hmm. that he will raise raise tariffs as a response to China raising tariffs. Yep. And as it was a response to China taking our jobs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. or at least a perception of China taking our jobs. I mean, oh yeah, with like outsourcing I, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, with a lot of the outsourcing that American companies have been doing, and he's trying to continue to keep us back in here so that mm-hmm. we can keep the American industrial sector alive. Yeah, and that, that kind of, that's kind of like how similar. The first thing that comes to mind is just like with at least with Wisconsin on um, the Foxconn agreement mm-hmm. and how I think it was I'm not sure if it's Indonesia or Singapore that that um, Foxconn was going to set their headquarters in. I remember I remember talking with someone about this like one time um, regarding that and how well, they, well they're from they, Taiwan. Okay, Taiwan. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, from Taiwan and how like they were able to match an agreement which I think was like costed about couple billion i forget the number and how they were able to get both um yeah they were to make that agreement and like set up headquarters in wisconsin but and it's like towards like kenosha area yeah it's in racine yeah in racine yeah like the, around there even though that's like a whole nother can of worms like because there's just like so much like so many, so much politics behind it with like um both yeah. like the environment how that's gonna have a role economic like, impact economic impact and i think I heard someone talking about how uh, people from Illinois will be getting the jobs also from there too. So that's yeah, Racine's also... really close. If you don't know the geography of Wisconsin, Racine's very, very close to Illinois. So a lot of people from like the suburbs of very northern Illinois or like even Chicago maybe oh, yeah. will try to get some of those jobs as well. So yep. So that's like a whole other thing to talk about. But yeah, so it's kind of something I think I think about like when I think about okay, yeah, keeping jobs in the U.S. And try to promote that, and yeah, I remember, um, it's particularly if you're a student from from University of Wisconsin Madison, there there was like a whole event that um, Foxconn came over to, yeah, know, to the engineering kind of, students, yeah, to the engineering students to talk about kind of like job opportunities and and the such. Chick Fil A was tasty. Oh yeah, Chick Fil A sounds amazing from that. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, that's a <laughs> that's definitely something. <laughs> Nothing better than free food. Yeah, and that, that kind of goes back to like what the. Um, the Milwaukee article was talking about like how like these big companies do benefit a lot from like tariffs to an extent. Yeah. You know, cause it does like kind of help production, but um, 
Yeah, and again, like, there's, like, a lot of companies in here that, I don't know, since we're talking about China, like, another company that, um, from, like, was this particularly, like, in Wisconsin, it's called, um, Artisan. I do not know that that's the right, like, right way to pronounce it, but they're, like, um, a small company, like, a, I won't say small company, but they're, like, this company in, um, Cumberland, Wisconsin, which is, like, roughly 2,200 people. But like this um, company is like the largest employer there and most of the manufacturing that from this company is done in Asia but like there's like this 25% um, percent tariff on China which can pretty much like which pretty much does damage and like um, affect the company as a whole and it does risk people's jobs so like as we mentioned before like these tariffs sometimes do have like heavy implications on like individual like smaller like companies and even like and if maybe you're not from those small towns one I remember what this article was talking about how um, maybe maybe as early as Christmas is said that um people who are shopping are probably gonna start seeing like higher prices in you know some products from particularly from China especially because of these trade wars yeah well and according to the USTR the US trade representative which is the main source of all trade info if you want to go to their website it's USTR.gov and it is a fantastic website if you want to learn anything about the U.S. trade involvement in any single country in the world and all the trade agreements that we're in and any statistic <laughs> about the U.S. imports or exports. It is fantastic. Best thing ever. It's very if – you're, if you're a trade nerd. But according to them, 96% of goods are industrial, which industrial is a very overarching term. Basically, that's anything that's non-agricultural. Equipment and information technology products, minerals and metals, petroleum, chemicals, textiles and clothing, leather and footwear, consumer goods, wood products, fish and fish products, etc. So you will definitely see, because a lot of our goods are imported from China, that there will be a, a little bit more of a price increase on specific goods like clothes and phones and gifts for Christmas and everything, just because it's gonna be a little bit more expensive to move it in. And that's kind of just part of uh, trade wars. You yeah, just definitely. see a higher increase in consumer prices, mm -hmm. which is just, it's a side effect. You're you're going to see it every single time when tariffs are raised. Yeah. And um, Alan, JH, what, you all sound so biased. Why are you, so, why are you talking so much crap about tariffs? Well, uh, well like, that's, like, that's like just a natural consequence of tariffs. But like another thing that I was reading was like from a Wall Street Journal article was that um yeah like we do like complain about tariffs but one thing that was um, suggested was that um that there should be like support for legislation and how to um kind of take back the authority yeah for tariffs from from the presidency to to Congress and that was obviously done by the Smoot Holly tariff. Yeah, which, which is over killed us. And I'm not trying to sound biased or anything. <laughs> it's just like historically you'll see like prices rise um, whenever tariffs are increased. Yeah, definitely. And kind of just like um what do you call it? Yeah, that's like something but another thing too that this um article time was like both like taking back that like power to Congress, but also kind of like if like um, it's particularly talking about uh, congressional Democrats and how even though they may like a lot of people are complaining about tariffs, there should still there should there should be some like at least an introduction of like an alternative, yeah. which I do am no expert about. 
but no, it's definitely no, an important like, conversation to have like just like okay you're, yes you, um you see this is a problem but what's the alternative you know that, that I mean, you you really don't see any alternatives to tariffs or anything like like increasing tariff rates like obviously the alternative would be to decrease them but the problem is that there's a bunch of economic implications that come out of that that complicate everything yeah and once you start to raise tariff rates it's very hard to lower them because your economy starts to adjust and mm-hmm. if you start to just drop them that's a problem because mm-hmm. you will have a lot of other things that happen so it is on one hand yes lowering trade or lower trade rates will lead to lower consumer good prices that's just a fact mm-hmm. however there are also there are if you need to offer like a solution as well if you want to lower the trade rates or the tariff rates because otherwise it's not gonna it's just not gonna happen Mm-hmm. And honestly, we're not experts in this, so like, no. if there's any like anything anyone wants to correct, definitely feel free. Shoot us you know, any email. Yeah, send send an email. Leave a comment on our SoundCloud or yeah. whatever platform this is on that you're listening to. But yeah, I mean, like it's it's a very interesting um, thing to think about because I, I I mean I don't know like like I'm learning a lot more about tariffs like recently, particularly because of like what's what's currently in the news about it but also it's something that like i was briefly because like a lot of the historical stuff we were talking about was, was stuff that i remember back in high school like these are things i remember briefly learning about but not really looking at the implications of like how what it has on like both modern day um economics or modern day trade practices i guess is the best way i can word it and kind of like seeing how those two connect and you know that's what we try to do in this show. We try to bring some historical elements, some discussion elements, you know, all some that econ jazz. elements, just yeah. political, political, apolitical, political. Yeah, and, it, and it's like it, it brings a good conversation to the table, you know, because like it's especially when it comes to like like when it comes to like political polarization, it's like harder just like sit down and just talk about like hash out things like that, you know. Right. And and one, one one thing I found interesting too with the same Wall Street Journal article was that like this quote um, from a rally, the Donald Trump rally, basically like, I'm not sure how valid it is. I, 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 if I can find the source from from that exact quote, it basically, this is what it says. Um, we lost at 817 billion a year over the last number of years in trade. In other words, if we didn't trade, we'd save a hell, hell of a lot of money, which I can see. But definitely need to like really look at all the numbers for that. But it is an interesting statement, kind of like showing kind of like how um this uh, like a, the rhetoric of pro tariff, I guess, or pro mm-hmm. pro protection. protection. Yeah, protectionism. Pro and also another thing was like um, the Wall Street Journal article also was talking about how um, economists estimated that about for each job that was created for by um, Donald Trump's metal tariff specifically metal tariff that uh, 16 would be lost which would make sense but um, again it does go back to this idea of like like what is the alternative how do we go about trade and this seems like something that like why should i care but as we mentioned before it just has a lot of implications for like jobs prices if that's something that you care you know like right you know close like jobs and whatnot you know However, I mean, economically, trades are still beneficial or tariffs are still beneficial because the government does take in money. We do have more revenue out of this. Though. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are going to be benefits and there are going to be just not benefits. So 
I mean, you just got to kind of take it as it is. It's if you want to hire raise tariffs, there's going to be higher prices, but the government's going to have more revenue to work with. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to raise tariffs, if you want to keep them low and be more of a free trade, uh, you will see lower prices, but the government's going to have to find other ways to get that income because it needs yeah. it. Which it could go either to taxes or, you know, various other sources for that, which again is like one of those things that like, which people much smarter than myself can have, can probably like figure out, but also like, it is an, it is something that's like important to know, especially when you're thinking about perhaps like, as we go back to the previous episode, uh, talking about like candidates and whatnot, like what are their views on trade? And sometimes whatever your personal views are, taking account like those pros and cons of like a specific topic, definitely an, an important thing to think about. For sure. So I got one question for you. Yes. Have you ever heard of the prisoner's dilemma? I, it sounds familiar. Yeah. I, I I know it has to do with prisons. Yes. As it says in the name. And it's like what well, it's 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 like kind of like a situation where you're like you're just not sure what the fuck's gonna happen. Yep. Yeah, so uh, Prisoner's Dilemma is a thought experiment, basically where and this is a very, very, very prominent exper- or experiment in international relations. Essentially, it is a an experiment where two prisoners are put into a room, they have committed a crime together. And they're offered two options. They can defect or uh, snitch and rat out their other prisoner, or they can stay silent. If they stay silent and the other prisoner stays silent, they each get two years in prison. If they rat out the other prisoner and and their friend, their other prisoner stays silent, so it's beneficial to them, they go free and the other prisoner stays in jail for five years. If uh, they both snitch on each other, they both go to jail for six years uh, or three years apiece, excuse me. And you can see that is the most beneficial for them to work together to cooperate. However, in reality, they're going to defect because it is, or they're going to snitch on each other because it is more beneficial to them personally. So this is gonna be a segue in the protectionism versus free trade. So there are two schools of thought when it comes to tariffs. We've been going over it a lot. Oh yeah. But we really haven't named it yet. Mm-hmm. There's protectionism, which is very pro-tariff. You're protecting your own interests. It is all about the state, the internal state. We've been talking about how states receive benefits from t- raising tariffs, how they receive personal benefits. However, you are screwing over the world globally, which is where this prisoner's dilemma comes mm-hmm. into play. It's very beneficial for the country to raise tariffs. However, at the end of the day, it's way more beneficial for the globe to not raise tariffs because then trade's going to be a lot easier and you can get more resources that you want, especially poor countries. Yeah. And like also with like free trade, it's one of those things where it's like it is more of a globally focus or as some people would call it like globalization um, when it comes to trade. And like having some of these lower rates can, oh, again, like in, like increase access to like various goods. Like for example, like some like a company um here was another company in Wisconsin here called Delta's Children's Product Corporation. They import a lot of their raw materials from China. So like in a sense, like having like like these lower lower tariffs can really benefit some companies, especially when like um, producing our own raw materials may not be necessarily feasible. Especially right. if you're thinking about like Wisconsin and like maybe perhaps um trading interstate might not necessarily be the most efficient way to like get some of the some some of the important goods you know because like for example like we're making phone parts for example like in china usually it's like 
a lot cheaper. I mean, those are going to go oh, hella ethical, though, but let's just ignore that right now. That's going to be a whole other thing. Um, but, like, yeah, for example, sometimes it might be cheaper to make a product in another country and importing it here. And also, like, for example, I think another, another example would be, like, windmills. Um, some, windmill, some windmill companies can use, like, import the parts of the windmills, but then provide the jobs by uh, the installation of windmills. And I remember this from, um, I think it was a talk, but also, um, I, I forgot, I'm trying to remember what the article was, but there was an article how, okay, yeah, like, um, for example, like this, this is kind of an older article from like 2009, but still kind of valid with the point of windmills, for example, kind of like how um, we were getting a lot of these windmill turbine imports from Europe and Asia, and then installing them in the US, which at the time, it's it wasn't necessarily the most feasible to have U.S. manufacturers, but that is something that's kind of like, I, I think about when it comes to like, just like the importance of having um, like lower tariffs and like accessibility of different like things that may not be um, available within the same country. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, well, that quote, quote by um, President Trump really would be a, it would be very beneficial for the U.S. to manufacture it. It's a, it's not possible we need there are some things that we just do not have in the united states that we need mm-hmm. all the time yeah and so i mean like if we tariff the if we tariff it a lot there is that there are benefits to our revenue however we do there are some goods that we just absolutely need there are some products that we absolutely need there are some inputs that we really 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 need and so there are some stuff that you, I mean, being an isolationist in the modern world is not possible anymore. Um, it really wasn't possible after the 1800s when globalization began, after the Industrial Revolution, and it's extremely not possible now. We're just too interlocked in the world. So, yeah, we can, it would be nice to be like, yeah, we can just get it out of it. But we, in all honesty, like, we do need a little bit of trade at least mm-hmm. just to remain like within the world. Yeah, definitely. And that's, uh, and again, that's also like open for like, not open for, not necessarily for interpretation, but that's definitely open for kind of like how, open for more research and looking into it. But this is definitely kind of like a small layout of like what we have, or like our understanding of tariffs and just kind of our own little research for it, which, you know, pretty interesting stuff. Well, that this is it for the second episode of Roadmap to Politics. Thank you so much for listening. I'm J.H. Vierhoff. I'm Alex Martinez, signing off.